Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson, and you're listening to the Arsenal Women Askcast on Arsenal. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you've been in my head. I'm normally a one-take wonder. <laughs> Hi, I'm Leah Williamson, and you're listening to the Arsenal Women Askcast on askblog.com. Take. Brilliant. Take. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Women Askcast on askblog.com, the best podcast about the Arsenal women's team. It's the only one, but it's still the best. Um, you're joined by me, your host, Tim Stillman, as well as our wonderful co-host, Pippa Monique. Pippa, what are you saying? Hello. I'm good, thanks. Not enjoying the weather so far because I'm bunged up, but I'm good. Good. Good to hear. <laughs> and um, as ever, we've got a really special guest um, on this week. I'm uh, I'm really, really delighted uh, to introduce a good friend of mine, um, but also someone very well known, I think it's fair to say, around the kind of women's football circuit. Um, and now the women's football writer for The Athletic, Kieran Tatham. Kieran, hello there. Hi, Tim. Thanks, guys, for having me. Uh, nice build up there. I'm not sure I deserve that, but uh, I'll try and get to it on this podcast. Um, Kieran, uh, the, the reason I wanted to get you on um, this month in particular um, was just because you wrote um, a piece for The Athletic uh, recently on the Arsenal manager, Joe Montemoro. Do you want to just give the listeners a, a kind of brief outline of, uh, of that article and what it was about? Yeah, I think with joining The Athletic, we're, I, I never ever say that what we're doing is better than anyone else because I don't want to kind of be arrogant or, or big-headed but I think what we try and do is something a little bit different and my editors and I were quite keen to do something on Joe obviously he won the league with Arsenal last year they were coming into the season as the reigning champions and and rather than just writing your, your typical profile piece we wanted to try and get a little bit of insight into what Joe the man is like behind Joe the coach so we um, or I went about trying to contact some of those that maybe know him best so spoke to his older brother spoke to a friend of his that he went to school with and, and obviously spoke to a couple of his players as well so it gave us a nice nice little insight into what Joe was like growing up what he was maybe like as a player and, and maybe the characteristics that he has that, that kind of fed into him becoming a, a coach and um, just winding back slightly uh, you started writing for The Athletic was it earlier this month September um, by the end of August, mate. End by of the August, end. end of August. So, can I ask? Because um, you obviously you had quite an exciting summer um, as well. Can I ask um, how that, how the role with the Athletic came about, and perhaps you can also tell the listeners a little bit about what you did during the summer. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not, I'm never gonna deny when things kind of arrive at the right time and and i think with the athletic they pretty much assembled the writing team by 
going and cherry picking the writers that they wanted and and i make no kind of uh, bones about it they they came to me uh they they knew that i think they knew that my contract with with my previous role was was coming to an end uh, they've spoken to a few people for recommendations on on women's football writers and they contacted me and and sold me a really exciting project um the athletic uh, just to give a very brief overview is an american-based company but branched out into the uk at the start of august with a a dedicated kind of arm to to football um the american website or american arm has all your typical american sports the nba the nfl uh, has u.s women's national team and, and the nwsl but they've now branched out into the uk and and have got dedicated reporters for every premier league club they've got some in scotland in a few of the championship clubs and and asked me if i would be interested in becoming their women's football writer and and i snapped their hands off because my previous role with fifa uh, where i was a consultant for six months working on the women's world cup and before that uh, the women's world cup trophy tour where we actually took the women's world cup trophy to all 24 countries that had qualified um, my role with them had, had come to an end. It came to an end at the end of July. So I'm not going to deny it was a very, very fortunate opportunity that came up at the right time. And uh, yeah, an opportunity to write about women's football full time, which um, which it doesn't happen very often. There's not a huge number of opportunities mm-hmm. out there. So it was uh, was something that I couldn't turn down. That, that was an ideal solution for you, for you, you, said, you. Picking, up a, picking up a job straight away. But what was what has inspired you to start writing about women's football? I give the same answer every time, Pippa. Uh, Kelly Smith uh, is is my inspiration for for writing about the game. She's become a really good friend of mine and and has really helped. I'm not going to deny it. Really helped me get to where I am um, because when you know someone like Kelly Smith and and she's willing to champion you and back you, then uh, it helps you get to to places that maybe others maybe haven't been so fortunate to do. So I met Kelly back in 2009. I used to work as a as a local journalist in Watford, where I'm from. Kelly's from Watford. We got introduced by a mutual friend. I interviewed her. First interview I did in women's football was with Kelly uh, in her living room in Welling Garden City, where she used to live. And uh, I was I was really overcome by by how humble and by how modest she was. And and we're talking about one of the best players in the world at the time. Kelly was lauded by so many and and respected by so many, both here and in the in the United States as well. Um, and the opportunity to interview and meet her was was something that was. Yeah, it, it really hit me um, in a positive way, and and that's where the interest in women's football started. So it's been ten years, and uh, I, I even now uh, I still speak to Kelly semi regularly and and stay in touch with her, and, and obviously want to know how she's getting on. Yeah, yeah. absolute legend there to have in your contact book. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And what uh, was the? Oh, sorry, sorry. No, no, Jim. go for it. Sorry, Pippa. <laughs> I'm going to touch on the article that you wrote recently about Joan. Go for was, it. Um, what was the main aim in in writing the article? What were your expect, expectations on on the response to it? Yeah, I think for me it was just making sure people learned something that they didn't know, and I, I think that's what we try and do with the athletic. It, it, there are so many great articles out there, and by so many great journalists, it would, as I say, it would have been easy for me to write a profile piece about Joe, and and there was already probably stuff in there that that people knew about. I mean, I, I spoke to Tim before. I'd written it and I said did you know this and did you know that and and in some cases it was yes I knew about that or in some cases it no I wasn't so you know it's difficult to kind of reinvent the wheel completely but I think that for me by speaking to his older brother and by speaking to um, one of his friends from school we got a little bit of 
of insight into Joe's life that maybe other people didn't know about. And I, I think that for me was the key thing. And and in terms of response, I just want people to enjoy it, Pippa. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not the greatest writer or the greatest journalist out there, but I just want to. I love telling stories, and and that's why I got into the women's game because there are so many brilliant stories out there. These players have um, great characters, great personalities, and and they have a story to tell. And for years, they weren't able to tell that because the media just didn't take an interest. And now there's podcasts like yours, and there's mainstream media interest where they now have a platform to be able to to tell those stories and and to speak up. And and that's why I wanted to to do what I do, and that's why I wanted to write the story on Joe. And Kieran, um, how exactly did you make contact uh, with Joe's brother and how did you track down one of his best friends from school? And did Joe know about this? Were they all totally receptive to the idea? What, what was the story behind the story, I guess? Okay, I'm going to be honest. I, got, I actually got, got the contacts from Joe directly. So I told him that I was writing a piece and that we wanted it to be a little bit different. And, uh, you know, I said to him, look, I'd really like to speak to some of those people that know you best. And he was very receptive. I was fortunate that obviously Joe, like yourself, Tim, will know us from from mix zones and and post-match media interviews. But I had the opportunity to sit down with Joe um, with Heather O'Reilly over dinner last year. Actually, would have been the year before last. Uh, No, it was last year. It was last year. Sorry, in Scotland. Scotland had a, a friendly against the United States up near Glasgow and uh, I met Heather and Joe for uh, for a very quick dinner before the game and um, I think that was an opportunity there to break the ice and to, to kind of get to know him a little bit outside football so when I contacted him he obviously has a, has an awareness of who I am and, and knew that you know through through Heather O'Reilly as well um, telling him a bit more about me and the work that I do he was he was receptive and and Anthony his brother and uh, and his friend from school as well were, were incredibly receptive in fact they were um, you know, more than happy to to talk about him um, and his achievements because obviously they're very proud of him and, and what he's achieved. So uh, it wasn't a difficult article to write and uh, Joe was completely on board and in the know. Um, didn't know what they were obviously going to talk about. Um, I think I, I put it in the piece that he got a little bit emotional when we uh, when we spoke about his dad. That was a, a story about that Anthony had told me about, about unfortunately their dad passing away um, 18 months before Joe got the job at Arsenal. But uh, yeah, he was on board, but didn't necessarily know what we were going to talk about. And I think what um, really comes across uh, in the article as well, you know, from kind of knowing and speaking to Joe, I know like he takes his Italian heritage um, quite seriously. And I knew stuff like that he was fluent in Italian and liked Italian football and things like that. But I think what really came across in this piece, which perhaps I hadn't quite picked up on, was that particularly in his youth, he probably felt more Italian than Australian um, quite a lot of the time. Is is that really what came across um, for you talking to his brother and 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 you know his his best friend uh, from from Melbourne as well? Did and did that surprise you at all? Yeah, I guess it did surprise me a little bit, um, but uh, it was probably because I didn't really know an awful lot about his childhood. It wasn't until I'd sort of started to do research and then spoke to especially to his to his friend that. You kind of got an idea that he was he was very very uh, passionate about his Italian heritage. I think that they only spoke Italian in in his house. Obviously, both his his parents were Italian, and um, you know I think his his love of football as well was probably influenced. And having two older brothers, and his two older brothers are, are a lot older than him. They're eleven years and nine years older respectively. So I imagine that they probably had quite a big influence on that as well. And um, yeah, I think. 
the the fact that he took such an interest in football at a young age and obviously he was kind of guided in the direction of the Italian national team um, probably had a big influence on that but I mean you guys will have will have seen it from the the first leg against Fiorentina he did his press conference in Italian and um, when he uh, when he was obviously spoken to by by Italian journalists and uh, yeah clearly something that he's very proud of and and wants to wants to maintain and not forget about. In terms of the article again because I enjoyed it so much. Um, it's interesting to note uh, the, like the positive impacts and influence Joe's had on the players. I mean, Katie like exclaimed, exclaimed that he basically saved her career at Arsenal by believing in her abilities and giving her a lifeline. Um, and Jess Fishlock's comments on his man management. It seems as though the players respond very well to Joe's management style. Yeah, definitely. And, and I don't think it's just limited to to the players that you mentioned. Um, I've, I, don't, I haven't actually met anyone yet who who doesn't respect Joe and doesn't buy into his ideas. I think it would be fair to say that Arsenal had lost their identity towards the end of Pedro Martinez Losa's uh, reign at the club. Uh, we don't really know an awful lot as to why that is, but um, they clearly, I, I'm sure Tim and, and yourself uh, would agree that, that they didn't seem to know their roles. They seemed a little bit lost out on the field. And I think Joe kind of brought them back together and, and because he's a fan of the club as well I, I think he was as passionate as about driving it forward as they were and you'll get managers who come into clubs and they're doing it because it's a job but for for, for Joe it's a passion and, and I think that probably comes across and, and really kind of uh, drives that into his players and if you speak to someone like Jordan Nobbs who is essentially now an adopted Arsenal fan she, having been at the club for so long you know I spoke to her as well and, and she, her face just lights up when she's speaking about Joe and and I think that when you read about her um, how when she speaks about how he dealt with her injury you know she says you know Joe and I for the first few months didn't really speak very much because he completely understood that no matter what he said it wouldn't make any difference to Jordan so the best way to try and help her deal with her injury and get over it is to leave her to do her rehab get back in the time that is you know is 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 right for her, not put pressure on her, and 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 they will communicate when the time is right. And I think that's that's a, a manager with emotional intelligence as well as coaching intelligence. He understands his players; they buy into him. And and believe me, Kate Jordan and and Jess Fishlock, obviously from his time in Melbourne, are not the only players that that have positive things to say about him. So what stuck out to me again uh, is the fact that Joe's got some hidden talents. Um, you noted that. He became a freelance graphic designer whilst working with various various youth teams in Australia to obviously supplement his income to support his family. So I guess you could say that he's both creative on and off the pitch. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I had no idea about that until uh, until his brother had told me about that. I think that was um, that graphic design job or, or freelancing that he did essentially helped fund his uh, his UEFA licenses in Italy. So I think it was something that he really needed to do. Unfortunately, the coaching of, of youth football wasn't paying enough solely for him to be able to to go out to Italy and do his badges. So he picked up a little bit of work, used his creativity and, and he was able to pick up a, a little bit of work. I'm kind of intrigued to know how uh, whether Joe's been responsible for any of the creative gifts that we see on, uh, on Arsenal's <laughs> Twitter account. Uh, yeah, he's clearly got some talents there. But um, yeah, really creative guy. And, and I think... Uh, that creative side is is shown in the way that he wants his his football team to play 
to play on the pitch. And as much as it seems like Joe always had half an eye on coaching, um, there's there's one bit in the article where he kind of says that turning down a scholarship with uh, the Australian Institute of Sport, which took the likes of uh, Harry Kuehl and Mark Viduka and Tim Cahill and these great Australian footballers, and uh, he said turning that down was his biggest ever error. Did you sense any kind of regret about his playing career because it actually sounds to me I mean he stopped playing when he was 28 and it sounds to me like he could have made more of his playing career given his level of talent did you did you detect at any point a hint of regret about that from him not really no and and I think it's probably because he's gone on to be a great coach I think there are players that we're we're aware of you know, Jose Mourinho being one and, and Arsene Wenger being another, they didn't necessarily have the greatest careers as a player, but they went on to have magnificent, you know, careers as a coach. And 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 I think Joe probably falls into that. I think we've seen players that have had to retire young have started their coaching education a lot earlier. Brendan Rogers is another one. I think he retired something at like 20 years old because of injury and, and started his coaching almost immediately after. I think with Joe retiring so young, I think what it enabled him to do was to to really like learn the game and, and educate himself on how to be the best coach. But yeah, I mean, look, it, it may well have been that, that Joe could have had a, a better career, maybe could have got some, some caps probably mm-hmm. in the, what, the 80s and 90s where... Mm-hmm probably not in the 80s, but maybe the 90s, where, you know, how how successful were Australia in, in that period? Um, the, the golden generation of Australian players came probably in the 2000s, didn't they? Your Cahills and your Vadukas and your Kuhls. And your Kuhls. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure there is an element of regret for not fulfilling his full potential as a player. But look, he's gone on to be a great coach, so I'm sure he doesn't think about it too much. And um, my my final question on Joe, I guess, before um, I think Pippa's got uh, a few, uh, a couple of questions about um, the the best awards in Milan um, last week. Um, I I often get the sense that a lot of male coaches in women's football are looking for a route into men's football, um, and I I th- I think sometimes this leads to quite. It, it can lead to quite outlandish tactical decisions I think because I think certain particularly male coaches try to get themselves noticed um, I'm going to come out and say it. I'm kind of talking about Phil Neville here to be honest with you but I, I think he's far from alone um, in that respect but I've I've never actually had this sense from Joe even though he's worked in men's and women's football particularly at Melbourne in fact he worked in both at the same time while he was at Melbourne do you do you get that same sense that actually he's he's not really looking for in you know that he's not like just looking for a route into the men's game that actually he he does feel genuinely very passionate about the women's game and and you know staying involved with it yeah i i genuinely do and and it was something that his his brother said is that joe doesn't look at it as men's and women's football it's just football um so he doesn't see uh agenda he just sees 11 players on a field and he wants to get the absolute best out of them so I, I agree with you I, I don't think there's a desire on, on Joe's side to, to see this as a stepping stone into the men's game look if if Unai Emre loses his job and, and, <laughs> the, and the club say to Joe do you fancy taking on the men's game there's no, oh way he's tur- there's no way he's turning that down no way he's turning mm. that down because as an Arsenal fan who watched 
them as as a kid growing up that that for him would have been the ultimate dream there would have been you know arsenal women wouldn't have wouldn't have been on his on his radar growing up you know that we're talking about uh, you know a club that was was successful from the kind of 90s onwards but um you know if the men came knocking on his door then absolutely he's taking that job but you know this is not against him but you 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 guys and I will know that that's not going to happen because no. the yeah. the outrage that will come with that from arsenal fans who don't follow the women's team will you know would would be just a, a pr disaster but yeah. no i don't get that from from joe uh, he's at a club that he he absolutely loves he's been backed by his 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 hierarchy as well he's been able to sign some incredible talent after a, a period where arsenal were were playing catch up with with Manchester City and Chelsea, who overtook them, uh, and now they're back where they want to be, and and that's uh, amongst the elite clubs, not just in England but in Europe. And and I'm almost certain that they will um, go far in the in the Women's Champions League, and and they will again be contenders for every domestic trophy that they play in. I hope so. But now, onto a bit of glitz and glamour. Okay. I saw that you attended the FIFA Best Awards this year in Milan. How was it, first of all? Yeah, it was good. Uh, it was the second one I've attended. I, I went to the one in London last year, which was obviously oh, uh, right, right on my doorstep. So that was an easy one to kind of get to. But no, it's 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 to it's a typical FIFA event. It's everything that you would expect it to be. It's a little bit of a circus. Rose Lavelle, uh, the US midfielder, described it as overwhelming, and, and it is a little bit overwhelming with yeah. with all the security around it and all the fans kind of you know scattered around the, the sort of venue trying to get selfies with their favorite yeah. And, um yeah it's 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 a little bit chaotic but at the end of the day it's also um a really nice event to recognize both men and women uh, for yeah, years because i was at the the fifa best awards last year and there wasn't as many female players in attendance so it was great to see a lot of the players attend the green carpet this year but i have to ask did you expect rapino to win player of the year and do you believe she is a worthy winner uh, I did expect based on the on the short list of three. Um, yeah. Do I think she's a worthy winner? Look, she's a worthy winner in terms of of how she performed at the World Cup and and for everything that she does off the field. But if you're talking about a 12 month period, uh, then no, uh, I, I don't um, I don't think she was the, the the person that should have come out on top. Um, the person that, that for me that should have come out on top wasn't even in the final three. Uh, so, oh, who was it? <laughs> well, this, I, might, I, be, this I, might bring me on to my next question. Actually, uh, I think it might. I think there have been some phenomenal performances this this year, um, and I actually was in a fortunate position during my during my role with with FIFA to be able to to work with the women's football department and actually help them put a long list together so obviously there's an expert panel that narrows it down to 10 players it then goes to the public vote obviously it then goes from 10 down to a final three I helped um, the, the women's football department at FIFA put a list of 25 together alongside um, Jen O'Neill and a couple of other journalists and obviously some internal colleagues as well so um, yeah we put a list of 25 together unfortunately I can't disclose who was on that 25 but um, if I told you who my player of the year was, then they would, it would be easy for me to, to kind of give it away. But look, I think Sam Kerr's had a phenomenal year. I think when you when you get back-to-back um, golden boots in two different leagues like she did in the NWSL and, and the W League down in Australia, I think she would have been a worthy winner. I think Pernilla Harder, the Danish forwards, had another phenomenal season, winning a domestic double with with Wolfsburg. Unfortunately for her, she wasn't at the World Cup. And, 
And look, you know, there's there's no denying it. I think Viv Miedemar was was phenomenal the last year as well. You know, to 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 have the season that she did with Arsenal to win the league, to help the Netherlands, uh, help fire the Netherlands to the final. She rightfully was, you know, was recognised by by being, um, you know, being in the in the shortlist or, or in the longer list. So. Um, it's a really difficult one uh, to, to name one person, but I think for me, it's, it's probably Pernilla Harder or Sam Kerr with with Viv not very far behind. Uh, yeah. The three that made it through to the final all had really great years. And I know Alex Morgan was one that people questioned and, and they said, you know, they actually only scored, you know, what was it, five goals against Thailand. But actually, if you look at Alex's year with the US, I think she got 18 goals in 18 games in 2018. She was... CONCACAF player of the year and, and she actually did achieve quite a lot with the US it was just her club form that was a little bit off it, it's difficult because the World Cup carries so much weight uh, yeah, I, don't, I don't agree with it but unfortunately if you look at the the FIFA pro team of the year that was announced you know every single one of those players played at the World Cup um, yeah. so it's, well, it was always- well saying that my next question to you is what like Vivian Miedema didn't make that team so what are your thoughts on that? Yeah I think Viv's unlucky uh, no doubt about it. Um, you, as I said, it, it's based heavily on the World Cup, unfortunately. So my hope is that if Viv has the same year that she had last year, there is no major women's tournament next year. So Viv will definitely be in with a shout. But uh, you know, look, Marta didn't even make the the sh- the, the, t- the list of ten players that were up yeah. for the women's award, the individual women's award. So for her to get into the 11, the best FIFA Pro 11 um, a lot. last year is is a little bit confusing. But ultimately, it's the players that vote. It's a, The FIFA Pro is a union. It's the players that vote for that award. And uh, the players have voted for uh, the, the, the 11 players that they feel should be in that, in that side. But I think, unfortunately, we are falling into a similar trap to to what we have in the men's game in that yeah. players are being voted on reputation rather than performance and we saw that with uh, the men's award I did a, a live Q&A on the Athletics website after um, after the awards had finished and the question that kept popping up most was, most was why are Ramos, Modric and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and and Marcelo in the team of the year when they've all been rubbish for Real Madrid and it's reputation it's profile everyone knows players who are voting in countries that we're not as familiar with um, know who those players are and that's why they vote and uh, it's the same with the women's team if, if you look at the names on that list the vast majority of them are very high profile and, and they're probably in for that reason rather than performances and and yeah I, I just to finish I wanted to ask a, a slightly wider question on this because um, you know I I think I understand the reasons that someone like Marta who didn't even have a great World Cup largely because she was injured um, has had a lot of injuries this year. Has only scored, I think, four non-penalty goals all year. Um, but I kind of get it because she's the most famous. And let's face it, um, women's football is not easy to watch around the world. So it's not really easy to make an informed judgment on who is the best. But at the same time, with Miedema, it just it made me think. Like obviously, most you know, most women's footballers don't really watch much women's football. I think it's fair to say. I think we can be adult enough to say that. But I, I kind of tend to think, yeah, without a doubt, mate. And, and I actually, mm. put, yeah, I put that in in a column that I wrote uh, last week about players learning from someone like Heather O'Reilly, who 
champions of the game who really is is a big kind of advocate and ambassador and and Heather made made a point of trying to not only play the game but she wanted to watch the game as well and I can guarantee that she would not be watching games every weekend but she would definitely be taking an interest in what was going on around other leagues and um, and and within the WSL when she was here but I I think it's fair to say that a, a lot of players don't watch the game they love playing but if they had a choice of watching you know the men's for example if the men's champions league final and the women's champions league final clashed i guarantee the majority of women's players would watch the men's champions league final because a lot of these players that's who they've grown up with they they support arsenal or liverpool or real madrid or barcelona they didn't grow up supporting Arsenal women, Chelsea women, um, Barcelona because they didn't have a team until what 15, 20 years ago. Um, there is a real problem in terms of women's footballers, not all of them, so I don't want to kind of paint them all with the same brush, but there was a problem with them having a knowledge about other women's footballers. And, and I won't name who it was, but during the World Cup, we're in the mix zone with a certain team, and, and a, a journalist asked one of the players, What do you think about you know the team that you're facing in the next round? And she said, I only really know one of their players. I don't know any of the others. And and that it was it was a fairly high profile team that her side was coming up against. And that for me surprised me a little bit because that is an indication that that women's players aren't necessarily watching the game. Yeah, and and it kind of made me reflect on you know Marta's very famous and obviously she's a, a huge figure in in world football and everything like that. But it kind of made me think. Um, and obviously in my WSL bubble and definitely my Arsenal bubble, um, perhaps you know, perhaps it, it just made me reflect a bit and think, did what Miedema, Vivian Miedema did last year? Because, I mean, she did play in the team that got to the World Cup final. Um, I don't think she had the best tournament herself, but, you know, she broke her country's goal scoring record in front of the, you know, in front of the watching world. And it made me think, I wonder why that seems to have flown under the radar um, a little bit. And I wonder if it's just Viv's character that she's, you know, she's quite quiet and keeps herself to herself. And frankly, she doesn't strike me as remotely bothered about anything like this. Um, in fact, I, I don't even think she's that bothered about scoring goals. I think she just <laughs> happens to be really good at it. But I don't think she's a kind of one of those people who wakes up in the morning and thinks I must score a hat trick today. I think it just happens because she's so good. And I wonder if it's... It, if you agree with me, Kieran, that perhaps um, there's something about her profile that perhaps counts against her uh, when it comes to awards like this. Yeah, I think that's really fair, mate. Uh, Viv, I think, has said herself she's not massively fond of social media, so she's not all over it. She's not necessarily speaking up on uh, social issues or political issues like Megan Rapinoe and, and Alex Morgan are. She's not uh, taking selfies or posting loads of Instagram stories, and and that's not a that's not a criticism of players that are for for us as journalists watching following players on social media is 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 helpful for our job because it sometimes you'll see something that you think do you know what that would make for an interesting article or do you know what that's something that I should speak to that player about. But Viv is definitely not one of those. Viv is definitely all business, and I think that's why she's got to where she has at such a young age. She is incredibly driven she's incredibly professional this is the impression i get of course incredibly professional and she just wants to be the best player that she can be without the fuss surrounding it she 
does media. I get the impression she does media because she has to and not because she wants to. <laughs> she's always engaging with the media. I would never ever say that she she hates it, but she does it because she has to. Um, but I, I think she is pretty much focused on being the best player that she can be rather than being a celebrity. Um, and that's what some of the players are getting to now. They are. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. celebrities they are their status is at that level now where they are recognized in the streets and they are being pestered for autographs and for selfies and and i'm sure viv will do all of that because it's part of being a footballer and part of the game growing but she's not bothered by all that that's the impression that i get and i think that's why as you say she's at the age of what 22 she's broken her country's scoring record she's won a euros she's got to a final of a world cup i think the move to arsenal helped her a lot she spoke to spoke to me uh, a little while ago and, and said that she wasn't enjoying it at Bayern munich they didn't play a style that that suited her and i think she was a bit fed up of just playing chasing after long balls i think joe and arsenal have given her a new lease of life and it sounds weird when considering she's so young but she stays at Arsenal for a while I, I think she's going to break all sorts of records and, and there's no end to what Viv Miedema can can achieve as a player and I think that's uh, a fantastic note to end this interview on um, Kieran thank you so much for speaking to both of us um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on it's my pleasure mate thank you guys for having me on thank you and um you can read Kieran's piece on Joe Montemoro, um, the link for which is in the description to this podcast. So do read that. And Kieran's written loads of other great articles as well. He mentioned one he wrote about Heather O'Reilly. Really, really good one with Casey Stoney as well, where he shadowed Casey Stoney, the Manchester United manager, for a day. Um, so if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, um, I thoroughly recommend uh reading those articles and I'd also thoroughly recommend I'm going to guess you probably do already if you're listening to this podcast but if you don't follow Kieran on Twitter at Kiers Tatham and Pippa and I will be back after the break with another exclusive interview Now at this point of the podcast Pippa and I were going to bring you an exclusive interview with uh, new signing Jill Rod, uh, which we are, we'd planned to do in the immediate aftermath of the Brighton game on Sunday 
however, that proved not to be possible because uh, if you were watching the game, you'll appreciate this. About two minutes before the final whistle, the heavens absolutely opened at Boreham Wood and we had an absolutely torrential downpour. And I guess you know what's coming, but the mix zone at Boreham Wood is completely uncovered, completely exposed to the elements. Um, so it was actually quite difficult to get an interview as the players quite understandably kind of ran inside and sheltered for cover. Um, so we didn't manage to get the Jill Rod interview. We will try and do that for you again next month. However, in the immediate aftermath of the game, I did manage to speak to Vivian Miedema. Um I managed to tempt her over with an umbrella. Um, and I'm very grateful to Viv for speaking for her for speaking with me. Um, I asked her about her not being included in the FIFA Pro World 11 of the year and uh, I, I just thought I'd drop that little bit of audio in first of all because it's it's pretty interesting um, but it also plays into exactly the discussion you've just heard Pippa and I have with Kieran Tatham um, about the reasons why uh, Viv despite her obvious qualities sometimes finds it difficult to get this kind of recognition um, again I'm hugely grateful to Viv for stopping given the elements um, but yeah so I, I, I asked her that question you can hear how I phrased the question and uh, this was her answer to be fair not even it's all about popularity and I don't post it on Instagram or on Twitter so that's probably what went wrong but I don't give a shit about awards what you said but I think it is a joke so pretty unequivocal there, um, I'm sure you'll agree. I wasn't hugely surprised by her answer, actually. Um, I, you know, I said to her in the phrasing of the question, I, I know you don't care about this type of thing. And, and I, I really honestly believe that with Viv. That's the thing, because all players understandably are kind of trained to say, I don't care about individual awards, I don't care who scores, as long as the team wins, blah, 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 etc. And you kind of don't really believe them. And again, I think that's fine, isn't it? That's human nature, everyone. You know, if you're a footballer and your team wins 2-1, or you're a footballer and your team wins 2-1 and you score the winning goal, I mean, you're going to be happier about scoring the winning goal, aren't you? I think that's just human nature. But I, I really genuinely believe from talking to Viv down the years that she's not that concerned by this type of thing, which is why she doesn't have such a kind of extroverted presence on social media. But... Um, the other thing I, I can say about Viv is that she says what she means and she means what she says. So, you know, she doesn't, she, you know, she doesn't do a lot of interviews. She doesn't kind of, she's, she's not really an extrovert, certainly not in public. Um, but when you ask her a question, she tells you what she's thinking. Um, and I think it's fair to say that's, that's what she did in that scenario. Um, so in lieu of the Jill Rod interview, I did manage to catch up quite quickly with Joe Montemoro in the aftermath of the Brighton game. Um, and it wasn't just me. There were, it was a little bit of a round table situation. So you will hear other journalists asking questions as well. Um, but we'll play you out with that because he does talk a little bit about uh, what's coming up in October, which is, you know, a huge month for Arsenal with Champions League games and games against Chelsea and Manchester City. So here's Arsenal manager Joe Montemoro. Now the perfect start to the season continues. What did you make of the team's performance today? It was good. It was, uh, it was uh, very well controlled and I thought that we might have had a, 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 bit, of a, a bit of a lull from Thursday night because the recovery's been very, very short. But um, I, I, I think she felt we were a lot more clinical today, a lot, a lot cleaner today um, than, than Thursday night. And... Uh, 
it was good. It was good to sit and watch some some good football. And that second goal, I mean, that's surely as good as any we've scored this season. The combination play looks straight off the training ground. Fifth game played down on the side and, and fizzing it in. Yeah, the, you know, we've we've worked a lot on on set pieces and, and the organisation of set pieces and exploiting their weaknesses. So it was good to get that. I actually thought the, the first goal was even better. Um, it started from one side, gone to the other side. We've combined, dragged them out, and and Kings played a little one-two and, and got in. So there was a few of those. Uh, there was a few of those combinations. So uh, you know, they're, they're hard teams to unlock, especially when they're so deep and you can't drag them out. And uh, it was good. And Leah, obviously, we know she's always had those qualities and stepped into these kind of positions, but in this new role, just how well is she taking to it so far this season? Yeah, look, uh, Leah's, uh, Leah's a very proactive footballer, so she likes to turn forward, face forward, find the, find the passes in between lines, uh, and she's very good at that, um, and uh, you know, she, she does it so well as a centre-back, and uh, we felt that uh, doing it as a number, a holding midfielder in the way we want to play, um, you know, she gets her positioning right, she can find passes everywhere, and uh, she was very, very good. Uh, she's got a little bit of a knock, which we're just, um, we're just sort of uh, monitoring uh, from uh, from the, the game the other night and we decided to take her off and not, not risk anything. We know you take the season in kind of stages. This is the first block over now as we go to the international break. How would you see it as a whole? It's been, it's been um, very positive. It's been, um, uh, I think, uh, one where, where, where we, we work towards this platform of, uh, of control, uh, this platform of uh, making sure that we're, we're stable um, and uh, we've got that. Uh, and I think uh, now we can we can be a little bit more um, a little bit more uh, I think uh, ruthless and, and aggressive in front of goal going forward, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll take the next stage a little bit better. And Joe, you always say um, that you're not really uh, that you don't really think in terms of formations, for example, and lots of rotation, lots of fluidity. How good does that score sheet look today to you with four different attacking players coming up in central areas? Yeah, actually, I was just um, I was just uh, looking at that. I, I asked oh, who scored the goals, and uh, it was four different scores. And I go, mm, excellent. It was all they were all in, in, in pockets where they're where they're rotating out and in and out. And, and it's the only way you're going to dislodge these teams. It's very hard to mark, and uh, you know they, they're getting used to it and they're and they're, they're understanding it. And uh, you know, with with Jordan now, it's just an, a little bit more of a an exciting stage because now we've got uh, the, the more forward runs going, so we can break lines. Otherwise, instead of br- breaking it underneath, we can now break lines beyond too. And do you think that that was perhaps Arsenal's most complete performance of the season so far? Uh, yeah, look, it's uh, it's uh, it's a difficult difficult thing to answer because uh, we look at the game in in terms of uh, how well we control the game, how well we uh, we find openings, and how well we we, uh, we 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 exploit the other teams. And uh, yeah, look, it was it was it was one it was up there as one of them. So yeah, it was very good. And a huge October ahead: games against Chelsea, Manchester City, next round of the Champions League. Um, how is everyone looking forward to that? Yeah, look, we've uh, was just was just speaking with the guys too in the in the sports science department, and uh, we've been able to manage and rotate. Now we gave Jill a bit of a spell. We gave uh, Beth a little bit of a spell because we know they, they're going into big international weeks. Uh, they're both going to be going to be featuring quite a lot. So we just felt they've played a lot of minutes. So we felt to give them a, give them a rest today and uh, and get them ready for for October. So uh, we've been able to rotate the team sensibly to to make sure that everyone's uh, ready for for a big October, which we're really looking forward to. Um, just one last one. You touched on Jordan. How important is she to the side? Obviously, it's one of the players of such high quality. But does she make a difference? Yeah, look, uh, Jordan, um, you know, has, has different qualities uh, to, to what Viv has or to what uh, uh, Kim or DVD have. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's, she complements uh, other areas of the game, which is very, very important. But, uh, look, you know, apart from having Jordan on the park, she's amazing off the park too, and uh, we love her. Thank you.
you very much. All good, guys. Thank you. And that's all we've got time for for this month's episode of the Arsenal Women Arsecast on arsblog.com. Thanks so much to our guest, uh, Kieran Tatham from The Athletic, on behalf of myself uh, and my fellow host, Pippa Monique. We're really grateful to Kieran for his time. And do make sure you check out that interview, that article rather, on The Athletic where Kieran talks to Joe's childhood friend and his and his older brother. Um, really, really fascinating stuff and it's, it's really great to have Kieran on as well. He's someone I've had earmarked as a guest for quite a long time, even before he took his role at The Athletic. Uh, apologies we weren't able to get the Gilles Rod interview. We'll try and do that for you next month, but also grateful to, for, for Joe Montemoro for his time and, and I guess to Vivian Needhamer for her time um, as well. That's all we've got time for this month. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll speak to you again next month on the Arsenal Women Askcast. Being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.